We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a promised us he told us in no uncertain terms he was very clear we have a good plan and now we know what it was to get those sweet sweet parachute payments baby this is the arsenal vision post-match podcast my name is elliot smith you can block me on twitter yankee gunner that's right stan is counting checks baby those parachute payments for relegation into the championship they're coming in and then we might even be able to win a title right win the championship bounce right back up that's what we're looking at. Yo-Yo Club of the Future. Arsenal Football Club. Catch the fever. Um, all right, so real quick housekeeping. Uh, I wish someone would do some housekeeping at Arsenal, but that apparently is not going to happen. So here, uh, remember, we are trying to get Clive, I mean, any of us, definitely Clive, but I mean, definitely any of us, to sing a Christmas song this year, and we are running out of time to make that happen. So uh, there is a lot of excellent coverage in The Athletic, and some of it's even from James McNicholas, which I got to say comes as a huge shock to me. So uh, I got to admit, I've been, I've been impressed with it, James. If you're listening, keep up the good work, man. It's it's fantastic. You know, here I was thinking I'd, I'd sign up for Ornstein and Amy. And nope, it's James stuff I like. What can I say? The heart wants what the heart wants. Uh, not bad on any of the podcasts they're doing, by the way. The Athletic has put out some really good podcasts. So anyway, enough about them. Just sign up at theathletic.com forward slash Clive P-A-F-C. Huh. Uh, uh, also, I guess you could sign up <laughs> at theathletic.com forward slash Stilberto forward slash Yankee Gunner and forward slash Paul AFC because they wouldn't do posing in my pants uh, and they wouldn't let us have a fifth for Scott. But that's okay because Scott's going to be hosting an analytics pod for us on the Patreon page. Uh, and it's going to be weekly as soon as he's done going to the happiest place on earth, which is not the Emirates. It is Disney World. Uh, and then the, the, uh, the Enclosed is back. 
uh, during the holiday season, we're going to be promoting the enclosed. They have sexy drawers. And uh, seeing as how we're missing sexiness on the football pitch, there's no reason why your partner can't be wearing sexy drawers. You'll hear about them later this pod. Uh, that is it. That is it for the housekeeping, except to say that when we get into the new year, we're probably going to go a little bit uh, sponsorship-free for a while to say thank you to everyone who is putting up with us not being sponsorship-free. You know what? Sign up for Patreon. Oh, right now on our website, if you go to the win link, there's like the, the arsenalvisionpodcast.com forward slash win, you can win an Arsenal shirt. You can win uh, a year of The Athletic, or you can win a year of Patreon. So we're trying to give back to you guys and, and give you a chance to win some cool stuff. Lots going on. In, in any event, Tim's on Twitter. It's still Hello, Tim. Hello there. <laughs> Hello there to you, too. Uh, Clive's on Twitter. Clive PAFC. Hello there. <laughs> Hello, hello. Hello, hello, indeed. Uh, okay, so yeah, this was a pile of hot steaming shit. And I got to admit, Clive and I did a rewatch for Patreon, and we did the first half, which was all I wanted to do. And then Clive said, we should do the second half. And then we had to do the second half, too. But it was better than I expected. I thought it was really, really good. And like the dumb, foolish, moron, not smart person I am, I thought that that would carry into this game. It did not. Tim, I, I think where we should start with this is the selection. And look, I think it is important mm. to remember that Freddie Yimberg has basically got one season of coaching kids under his belt and like a couple months of sitting next to the incomparable and incompetent Unai Emery, he's not ready to be the head coach of a massive club. He's not. And there should be no expectation that he would be. So none of this is is Freddie's problem and, and none of it is his fault, but he is in charge of it now. And it is interesting the way he is approaching this. It just feels like he is leaning into some of the curious selection issues that Emery promulgated so i'm curious to get your take on his selection and maybe if you have aspirations for how we might fix this with with slightly different choices yeah i excuse me so i was uh, again slightly unpleasantly surprised by the starting lineup um because again it was herzelin abamyang wide and i just think at this point in time when you know, the, the the problems with Arsenal, we've now come to a stage where they're part tactical, but a lot of this is confidence now, right? We're like, we can see that. And I understand there's a lot of pontificating. How good actually are we? How good are our players? I understand all that. They're much better than this. And we know that. And we mustn't be silly and pretend that this is their level because it's not. We saw that even last season, which wasn't a great season, they were much better than this. They're much better than this. Even last season when there were tactical things that weren't quite right. So there's there's a lot going on with confidence there. And Freddie alluded to that after the game. And I think that's really, really obvious. It's really obvious. It kind of jumps out at you. But when... There's, and this is where uh, me, the experienced Premier League coach, is going to tell Freddie how to do his job. I mean, look, you're on a podcast uh, to give your opinion. You know what? I, like the, the people who are like, you're not a manager, you don't know. I fully acknowledge that. But like, what are you supposed to do? Just mute your mute your mic yeah, and yeah. we take the week off? You know? Well, yeah, exactly. I, I'm not suggesting Arsenal actually take my advice, but I, I think when you've got a crisis of confidence, I've, I've been saying this for the last few weeks. Look after your good players. Look after the players that can win you the game and make them feel good. Make them feel comfortable. Because, you know, we, we've been on the slide, right, for a few weeks and we need to get back up that slide. And what were we doing at the beginning of the season? We were playing shit, but our big players, or Abamyang were bailing us out. Now our big players aren't even bailing us out anymore because their confidence is shot. And in my eyes... 
that like that would be the first stage of improvement right let's get the guys who can win us the game even if we because look we're not going to play well when we go to west ham on monday we're not suddenly going to turn up with an amazing flowing performance where everyone's super confident it's not going to happen it's not going to happen for at least several games it takes to get that confidence back so where we need in my view, to build back up to is at least build back up to that point where our big players can win us the game and dig us out of the hole. And when you have Aubameyang and Ozil sitting in the front row of the lower tier with chalk on their boots, that they can't win you the game from out there. They just can't. And if you really want someone um, with chalk in their boot on their boots, we paid £72 million for a mm-hmm. winger in the summer. <clears throat> Play him. Play him. <laughs> like, yeah. put him on the wing. Don't put Ozil and Abami. Like I, I've said, like, on the last few pods, I think you can get away with, like, having, you know, trying to squeeze one player into an attack, perhaps, who isn't, you know, who isn't going to play in his optimal position. I think you can get away with that. You can't have two, and you can't have two like stuck out on the wing and then, and I know he scored, I know he, he's, he's beginning to get a little bit of, I don't want to say flack now, but he, there's a little bit of scrutiny coming on Lacazette because he's not playing well, basically. He's, that's just the headline. I don't think he's really played well this season. Um, but then again, he's far from alone there. And so we're like, we're literally marginalising our two most gifted, creative players and then playing a guy who's really off form through the centre, and we're leaving like our very talented, if slightly misfiring at this point, winger on the bench. And I, I just think at this moment in time, if you're going to play Ozil, play him at number ten. If you're going to play Bamiang, play him through the middle. We've got Pepe who can play on the wing. Like, let's look after the guys who can dig you out of the hole. And I know you responded to my tweet on this, um, you know, at half time. It's like, it, it's amazing to me that how much effort we put into making sure that bang average players like Xhaka and Kalasinac, um feel comfortable and feel wanted. And, you know, we set the team up in a way that, you know, um, that we try and make them feel all warm and fuzzy. And then like, we just mistreat our actual mm. talent and, at, at this stage, like in the long term, just playing Ozil at number 10, Aubameyang through the middle, like in the long term, that that's going to be flawed. That's going to give you structural issues. But we are so far away from worrying about slightly flawed structures at the moment. We need a win and we need and, and look, we can't defend. We don't have the players to do it. He tried to put Mustafi in the last game. He took him out. He's put Socrates in. He doesn't have the options to bit like to really strengthen that defense up. He can do things in front of it a bit better, but he can't. That's not where the strength in the team is. He can't do anything about that, really. What he can do something about is making those super talented attackers feel good feel comfortable and at this point in time you know we're not going to go out and smash anyone 5-0 if we're going to our next win is going to be by one goal and it's probably going to be a bit lucky so let's and it's probably going to be in 2022 (laughs) yeah well yeah yeah so let's look after the guys who can take care of those margins and just get us those win that win there's a weird phenomenon at big clubs among the fan base that i have observed and it it frustrates me and that's partly because i'm a massive fanny, but like the there is the tendency to be to love 
and protect and hold to our bosom the likable, hardworking players at the expense of the very talented players who maybe are a little more mercurial and and slightly flawed. I cannot tell you how many arguments I got into over Francis Coughlin. People loved Francis. Oh, Francis Coughlin. I mean, look, look at him diving into that tackle. Francis Coughlin. And in the same breath, I was in arguments with those people over Alexis Sanchez who were like, he gives the ball away too much. Let me tell you something. Big clubs need Alexis Sanchez's more than they need Francis Coughlin's. Francis Coughlin was not a good footballer, okay? Francis Coughlin could do a couple of things and help us at a time where we needed that. Alexis Sanchez is the kind of footballer that can win a team title. Um, you know, it's just that simple. And we're doing it again. Def- oh, Kolasinac wasn't that bad. And, you know, granted, Shaka really, you know, he he gets on the ball and he can distribute. And, like, meanwhile, we're like, oh, Bamiang, you know, whatever. Uh, Pepe, he, he's kind of a waste. Here's the reality. Sometimes you have to make hard choices. You bench Lacazette, you play Aubameyang through the middle, you play the 72 million pound striker or, or winger, you pay Tierney, who you bought in the summer to be a solution at a, at a position that you thought was a problem. I mean, if you're Liverpool and you're going for the title and Naby Keita can't get in your team, then so be it. Naby Keita can't, can't, can't get in your team because you're on pace for 100 points without him. But if you're Arsenal and you can't win a fucking game and the club bought you Tierney and Pepe, you know what you should do? Play Tierney and Pepe. Because if they fail, and you fail as a result of it, then it points the finger back at Raul and Edu and the whole group and says, the tools you gave us didn't work. But not using them, and instead going for the players who didn't do it for you the season before, is unconscionable. It doesn't make any sense. It's not a coherent strategy. Um, and, and that comes from someone who knows about being incoherent. So Clive, I mean look, the way I see this is... We have flaws in the squad that we are exacerbating by failing to choose the players who were brought in to fix the the flaws in the squad and just play them in their natural positions. But I do want to get to this issue of whether the squad is bad or not. Let's say there were 20 teams in the Premier League, and there are, and they're exactly the same as they are right now, Clive, okay? Every single squad is the exact squad it is right now. And every single team was managed by the exact same head coach, okay? Same head coach, every single team. So there is absolutely no difference in coaching. Pep is coaching every one of them, or Klopp is, or Sam Allardyce. I don't care who, but 20 teams, same coach. Where do Arsenal finish with this squad if every single team in the league is coached by the same team? Ah, same coach. Um, I'm, I'm not too sure. I think we're, uh, we are we should be a top top six side, but I think we're no longer a top six side. That's, do do that's you think clear. that all things being equal, this squad would not finish in the top six if every single team, that, that there are that there are six better squads than ours. Yeah, I think I think we're missing something. I think we don't realize that the middle of the run teams like Palace and Wolves, obviously Leicester have, have shot up straight away, the good coaching at Sheffield United, um, these teams are improving. And they understand what they're trying to do. They are building uh, fit, hardworking Athletic squads that are well coached, that play to a plan, mostly off the ball. They can survive big moments, and they can chin you. They can take points from you. And apart from Liverpool, everyone is is suffering. Right. So I do think we massively overrate the talent of our squad, because talent is one thing, but it's how you apply that talent. I'm afraid is what really really counts, and that's where the gap has been closed. There are you know, I hear you talking about the players. I sort of just smile to myself because I don't think people—I don't think people really understand what good players need to have to be good players. We can all, when we close our eyes and think about 
good for our team performances. We we all see them that their best moments, but the game is not about your best moments. The game is about hard work to allow yourself to show your best moments, and that's what we haven't got at the moment. We have players who are hiding, standing next to people, not owning the ball, marking themselves. They're basically scared to play. They're not scared to walk in and get the contracts, but they're scared to show up in front of their own fans and really put themselves into situations where they could get into trouble. The whole atmosphere and environment is not allowing the players to flourish. Um, I'm not going to call the players weak because I think it's a difficult thing. They're young men and I think it's a difficult thing when you lose your... When you start thinking fearfully, you're trapped in your game, you're trapped in your 6 out of 10 game. And other teams smell the fear. They smell the fear on the terraces. I, I just could not get over the fear I felt last night watching that game. I was genuinely fearful, not just worried about your team losing. I was genuinely fearful for where we were. And I'm trying not to overreact, but I, I do feel if I was to take you through every one of the players and I'll tell you now, they're not as good as we think they are. They're mm. really not. They're not. I'm, I'm, I'll give you a good example. Every one of us would have better in our teams. I mean, I when he's back to form, yeah, I don't know that he's back yet. When he's yeah. back, to, he, he's not back yet. So let me caveat that. Thank you, Elliot, for caveating that. But can't we just see that the kid is at three-quarter pace, he's lost weight, he's lost power, he hasn't got the explosion. He's not there. So he's a name on the team sheet, but he's not ready. People are running through him. They're pushing him. They're moving him. He's right there in front of you. Of course, he's a great guy and probably one of our very, one of our best players, best persons, should be maybe the captain, represents the club more than anybody else. And so we all want him back. But it's indicative of where we are. Have we just noticed that potentially we are weaker than we were last year, player-wise, with the players going out and the players that have come in and where they are health-wise, adaption-wise? They're not there. Experience-wise, we are weaker. And if you look at the squad this year, there may be two players, just two, that have improved. And that's Aubameyang and the goalkeeper. Mm. So we are exactly where we should be. I don't disagree. It's just that I think a lot of that is coaching. I mean, I I don't think we understand. I, I, the, I, I, please, I have to jump in. Yeah. I have to jump in. I, I don't like when I hear that because one bit I did miss. The, the modern game is all about intensity and movement and your ability to apply yourself. We have been left with a bunch of players which lack intensity, lack the ability to win duels to win races it is obvious and clear and because they've lack, they lack confidence in themselves they are dropping away they're disconnected as groups some of that can be coached some of that can't be coached it just can't be coached it's just not in I, the group look I, I don't and we, and we need to we need to up that side of things and make that a priority <clears throat> to allow the talent to shine Clive I, I don't disagree but what I would say is like I'm not saying they can be coached to win a title I'm saying they can clearly be coached to be better than this. And I think there's a few issues. First of all, you just don't know the extent to which they've given up. And if they've given up, you know, that that obviously reflects poorly on them, but it can be down to the situation behind the scenes. I mean, I think Aubameyang is 
an A-plus center forward and a C-minus winger, right? I mean, that's an example of an area where we make our team worse and maybe we're not getting as much from him in terms of commitment, but also in terms of deployment. Um, I think that there are other things we can be doing. Look, I saw Chelsea finish 12th and then win the league the next season. Now, I realize they made changes to their squad, but they didn't finish 12th because they had the 12th best team. They finished 12th because they quit on Jose Mourinho. I've seen Conte win a title with Leicester and then win a title at Chelsea and win a World Cup and not, or has he won a title at Chelsea? I can't remember. Anyway, uh, but then, yeah, did. yeah, thank you. But then not be particularly good for Sari because Sari used him in a different way. And it's not because Conte isn't brilliant. It's because Conte has to be, you know, players are tools and the tools have to be, you know, refined and trained and then used in the way that they can be most effective. I saw Leicester win a title with a, a squad that had deep flaws. But if there's one thing that they got right, they understood that they could counterattack. They understood that they had a guy that could play like two guys in midfield in front of the, a, a very poor central defensive unit, that they had the ability to, you know, with Mares beat a man off the dribble and create opportunities to play in Vardy behind. And they did that brilliantly. And like, I'm not saying we should be winning a title. I'm not saying we should be close. I'm saying that what's happening right now is the combination of what I think was a very poor performance by Unai Emery and now a guy who's just in over his head trying to clean up a disaster that is going to be hard for the most experienced coach to clean up. And that I just don't think it's being helped necessarily by the deployment of players. But I'm not going to suggest for a second that playing Aubameyang through the middle and Pepe on the right and Tierney at fullback means we'll start, you know, we'll rocket up the table. I just think these are common sense solutions. I, I think, Tim, we obviously have to look at how resources have been deployed. And there's an interesting chat going on in Discord and DTDC Gunnar in there was making, you know, the interesting point that everything changed a few years ago when all of this money flooded into the Premier League with the the television contracts, Right. And that this TV money meant that some of the smaller clubs woke up and said, hey, you know what? These big clubs spend like drunks on Black Friday. And mm. they're not careful. They waste their resources. They maybe don't have the best coaches. They have big name coaches. And if we are careful, if we incorporate analytics, if we do better with our scouting, if we find value, if we hire coaches who are more tactically astute, there are, there are gaps that we can close, right? There are opportunities for us to seize upon to close the gaps with our by using our resources more efficiently than they do. And I'm wondering, you know, on the recent Ars cast, I think Arsblog did a great job sort of rattling through some of the purchases we've made. Putting aside the amount of resources that have been made available to us, do you think one of the biggest issues has just been that we have failed to leverage our resources and the opportunities presented to us through superior you know, tactical innovations, analytics innovations, and and scouting to just use our resources intelligently? Have we just basically squandered our economic advantage? Uh, yeah, I think so. Because um, if you look at, I mean, we pretty much spent all of our money in the summer, right? Um, I know we clawed some of it back, but even then that was just because we'd massively overspent to get Pepe and then we had to make a couple of, a couple of quick sales. Um, yes, I, th I, th I think we have. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily saying we have um, in perpetuity, but at this moment in time, yeah, because I like I, I'm not as familiar with the financials at this point, and not least because um, Arsenal have no obligation to to kind of publish them. God anymore. bless Swiss Rambo um, for what he does, for what he's able to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. But I mean, like. What or who like like what are we going to be able to do in January, for example? Um, I'd imagine not a lot. Do you think Dennis Suarez and, is available? <laughs> Go back in. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and because I was um, like I, I was writing earlier this week about the attack and how like you know it's it we've got loads of talent in attack, but it just doesn't fit together. Like I can't see a way of getting our four most talented attackers into the same team really in a in a satisfactory way. In fact, getting even three of them in, I think, is a, a makes things a bit unbalanced. And I was kind of saying so, but you know, like um, three of them, their contracts are up in eighteen months, so that you know they'll naturally turn over quite quickly anyway um but then you think well another year in the europa league or maybe not even in the europa league at all um like what are we going to have to replace them like financially and that that you know it was quite clear that this summer just gone was we were throwing our shirts on the poker table, you know. It was watches in, car keys in, mortgage deeds in. This is the last time we can do this because this is three years in the Europa League, and you know we're we're starting we're starting to feel the pinch. And at this stage, like you look at, like this whole squad needs a rebuild. Really, we built a must-win now squad that's gotten worse. And it all needs blowing up and starting again, and and what like how are we going to do that? Like what are we going to do that with? Um, you know, it would probably be quite nice about now to have, I don't know, um, a world-renowned scout, um, perhaps who has a really really good history of finding um, cheap players from nowhere. That'd be quite nice about now. Um, so yeah, I, I I totally think we have, and and a lot of it, and and I listened to the Ask Cast today, and and actually I, I found it so striking because I don't think I've thought about it before. When you rattle off like I lost fifteen signings, <laughs> and only really two or three of them have like have been an unqualified success, and that's that's really alarming. And so much of it, I think, just goes back to that summer of two thousand fifteen. Um, when we only bought Petr Cech and then after that we were chasing our tails because it wasn't just that in that summer we failed to build on, you know, because in 2014-15, right, we'd got Ozil and Sanchez in the team. We'd just finished third. We won a second consecutive FA Cup. We were in a really good position that summer with, like, there, there were some building blocks there. You thought, right, okay, Arsenal are maybe back. And then... But some of that squad just needed a little bit more gentle kind of, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily saying, it would, don't get me wrong, it would have been nice to make another blockbuster signing. But mm. even in, in lieu of that, just a little bit more gentle rotation, just a couple of tweaks, just one or two players in, one or two players out, keep things ticking over. And they did nothing and they froze. And because of that, the next summer, they had to do loads of work. They had to panic buy Mustafi. Um, you know, I don't think Jacker was a panic buy. They got that one done pretty quickly. I think that's a player they wanted. But, you know, like scrabbling around for Mustafi and spending 35 million and scrabbling around for Lucas Perez and spending 17 million on him. And from there, it's just kind of gone into free fall because we consistently had to chase our tails and then we had to pay 50 million for Lacazette because we wanted another striker and we didn't bite the bullet on Lacazette a year or two earlier when we probably could have got him for cheaper and it's just like the number one lesson we're learning like we're we're possibly learning um, and you know look the jury's still out really on like the likes of Raul Sanyehi and Edu I don't think it's it's not quite fair at this moment in time to say well they're clearly useless um 
unfortunately i think that they're on that road but they're not all the way down it mm. um but but the the lessons here are stop keeping underperforming managers on to do more damage you know act more quickly act more decisively um but yeah like recruitment has just been really really bad like a lot of money wasted and it may it almost makes you pine for the days when we had no money and you know we almost just allowed Wenger I guess to be a coach at that point and just try and coach some youngsters which which actually I think in a weird way kind of suits him um, or suited him rather um, and like because basically ever since Arsenal have been freed a little bit financially like like the the wealthier Arsenal have become really the stupider they've become I guess yeah and I, this is what I'm talking about is how these other ca- clubs close the gap I mean it, you would you could never be a mid-table club and let a 50 million pound asset leave for free we let two of them leave for free and committed to another yeah. one to the tune of 350,000 a week going into his 31 year old season I mean, these are the kinds of moves that allow smaller clubs to close the gap on you. When Ramsey leaves for free and Alexis leaves essentially for free in a swap for a player you don't need and Ozil is committed to for a a wage-busting or a salary bill-busting wage, those are moves that allow other clubs to close the gap. While Leicester go out and they get Ndidi and they get Tielemans Mm. and they spend efficiently and they bring in a a tactically secure manager and and suddenly all they... What do they need? They need clubs like United and Arsenal to be dumb. And guess what? Clubs like United and Arsenal were more than happy to oblige. Go ahead. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of... um, Just just as a bit of an analogy, you know... um, You know, like, basically when you have no money, right? Like, like you in real life have like no money thanks for reminding me and (laughs) and um you know if if you're like if you're earning uh like you're not earning well for example um and money's tight when money's tight it's almost like having a tax right because um you don't have the money to to like fix things so if you're um if you're struggling for money and your car's struggling you can't afford to go and get it fixed until it's completely broken and you can't afford to buy and you've got to have a car because you can't afford to buy a house near the station or get a house near the station so you need a car and you know you can't afford to fix things until they're profoundly broken and that costs more money and you can't afford to buy things in bulk so you actually end up spending more money and um and that kind of reminds me a little bit of what arsenal have done but in the inverse as they've gotten richer because they've allowed themselves to get into stupid situations they keep panicking and so they keep going into transfer windows and going, ah, oh, fuck, we've got to spend 35 million on Mustafi now. And, oh, shit, we've got to, like, we've got to pull the trigger on this. We've got to do this. And, you know, like, it, it becomes a very slippery slope when you start doing that rather than just building sensibly and building from a position of strength. Arsenal have allowed themselves to go into a position of weakness. And when you try and buy your way out of trouble you get desperate and you make stupid decisions and you know you start you start paying money for things that you don't need to pay money for and you start losing money on things that you don't need to lose and it's it's just it's just like this snowball effect has happened yeah i agree and you know i mean i i think of it this way in some respects like it, it is it is simply look 
If you spend 72 million pounds on a winger and you don't want to use him, something has gone profoundly wrong. Now, I'm not saying that the player could just suck, but he hasn't played enough to decide he sucks. And when he's played, he certainly hasn't sucked. Like, for a club to be so disjointed that a club that has finite resources would spend 72 million pounds pounds on a coming-into-prime winger when winger was clearly an area of need and he is not being used, that is a fractured and broken structure to club. And Clive, to your point about coaching, like, look, I get you. I'm not saying these players are world beaters, but it's not talent that's causing them to just run to the touchline and vacate the center. That can be coached out of them. So yeah, go ahead. I know you have a lot to add on this. So go ahead. Well, you're you're right. Things can be coached positionally. You can be coached. You can your coaching emphasis can be much more attacking. Can be more one touch. We can speed up the movement of the ball. We can do all those things. There are certain things we can't do with the players that we have. Some of them lack quality. Some of them do things under pressure, which is very very poor. And some of them lack athleticism. Some of them lack the ability to repeat sprint. It's uh, it's just there, right in front of your eyes. You don't need to be a, an analyst to work it out. The fear we all watch the games in is telling us exactly where our players are and what they can and can't do. But what you, you guys have been talking about, really, is, is just the environment. Recruitment has been a shocking issue. So the same players that we're now saying it was a recruitment issue, we're now saying they can be coached. Well, they can be coached, but it's only to a point. Let's be honest, the players are not as good as we think they are. And when you have a set, a multiple set of bad decisions that involving players and players' contracts and recruitment. What that says about your environment is, this is an environment where we can be rumbled by opportunists, right from the top, right? So we had a split ownership, opportunity for those ownership to make money. One basically wins it, he's doubled his money, good luck with him. It's an opportunity. It's a business opportunity. We had a set of execs in place in Ivan Gazidis, two and a half million a year. He took his money. Opportunity. Wenger made himself the single point of failure by doing five jobs. He took the opportunity to develop a club in his own model. There was weakness. There's a void there. There's an opportunity. And then when the players see that all happening and they see players walking out for free, how do you think they're going to behave? There's an opportunity for them to walk out for free. There's an opportunity for them to hold a club to ransom. So all that says is that environment is not optimal. And when we decide to then act in response, a panic reaction, to the fact that we let Alexis get into a bad situation, we let Ramsey get into a bad situation because we weren't ruthless enough with both of them, we then have to go and do something very un-Arsenal-like by giving Ozil that size of contract. And the moment you give him that side of the contract, you are now telling everybody else what is okay. It is okay at Arsenal not to win. It is okay at Arsenal not to always train well and always play well. It is okay at Arsenal not to always work hard because the key people at the club are allowed to do it. And what really struck me in the game last night, what, what was allowable? We saw a rant at the end. We saw a rant during the games from Aubameyang. And this tells me the environment absolutely lacks discipline, authority, leadership, accountability. They are allowed to, they feel comfortable doing these things. What Shaka did, he felt comfortable doing it, right? The, the players' actions and the club's actions all lead to a weakness of environment. 
So when you see these things, think about why they're doing it. We only, we only do things we can get away with. We all do it. Right? We don't do anything more than we can get away with. Mm. We're not even going to pay our price. The things that are happening, that price is being paid. That price is being paid by a fractured squad, fractured departments on the pitch. And obviously we analyse football games and we think about how we can make that better, move people around. This is bigger than moving deck chairs on a Titanic, mate. This is way bigger. This is environmental what Arsenal now are. You come to Arsenal, opportunity to live in Hampstead and make money as you're passing through. You don't come to Arsenal to win the league any longer. Right? We don't have to win. We're the first one to score the top four trophy. Top four is a trophy right now, by the way. Do you see what I mean? So we were the first ones to take our ambitions down while everybody else looked at what we did infrastructure-wise, looked at our ground, looked at our training ground, and are now copying it. The next one are Leicester. They talk about adding capacity to their stadium and a new training ground around the corner. Ownership fully aligned, coaching team locked down to, for the next five, six years. They're doing what we did years ago. But we've been doing a lap of honor since, making big mistakes because we've got money in our pockets and we've been stupid with it. And people have closed the gap on us and they know we're vulnerable. And now that's the fruits of that is there for everyone to see. And I'm telling you, a lot of people are very, very scared about where the bottom of this actually is. Yeah, well, I mean, we're running out of titles because like three of the last four titles for our podcast were the Doomsday Scenario, Gaslight Nation, and Where's the Bottom? <laughs> I mean, like, what the fuck are we going to call these things now? Um, but Clive, let me stay with you for a second about that. I mean, you know, you look at Liverpool and Liverpool bought Van Dyke for an absolute fortune as the final piece to a title-winning team or, you yeah. know, a title-challenging team. We bought Pepe for an absolute fortune for what seemed to be a placate the fans and keep everybody happy kind of move. Is the problem at Arsenal in part that the eye that we have two eyes on commercial success and fan placation and nobody who really understands that what drives the commerce engine and drives the fan commitment is competitiveness on the pitch. And that for too long, things like getting the Adidas deal or getting the Emirates Stadium or you know buying a star like Ozil or re-signing him was about getting shirt sponsorships and commercial deals. And that actually the real issue is we've had executives whose, whose focus has been too much on the commercial side and that the competitive side hasn't been appreciated enough and tended to enough as the engine that drives all of this commerce. I, I t absolutely agree. We've got all these people around in the background of the club, but they're not driving us hard enough commercially, which means... I mean, we've got yeah, Visit so Rwanda should... on our sleeve. How's that making us more competitive? I get it. It's money, but th <laughs> I'm saying, like, the, the you know, we've got guys who know how to find a sleeve sponsorship, but don't know how to find, you know, a, 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 ja a, a diamond in the rough center back, you know? Yeah, so, you know, you know, uh, it's, it's, a good, it's a good point. So, basically, we've got a very, very, very rich owner. Right, so they talk about having a plan. Well, if you have a plan, your job as the owner is to work on ways where you can improve revenue streams, right? So you can deliver on that plan. So it's really, really clear. We have no commercial plan. We have no football plan. We we don't. And I take Tim's point. I think we have to wait to January and the summer to really, really judge Raul and Edu. Let's give them. Let's give them a little bit of a chance. But, you know, I tell you now, the, I, when I start to think about this, when Liverpool bought Oxley chamberlain everyone sort of laughed and said, you know, well, what, they're getting a player that's not done anything, blah, blah, blah. They just put the money down, 40 mil, bang. You know why? They had a plan. 
Their plan was to have intense, hard-running midfielders. The moment they bought him, I knew exactly where he was going to play. I knew exactly where he was going to play. He left a club where he was playing left wing back, right wing back, right wing, right in the midfield, up right wing in the three, right in the four. We moved him all around, centre midfield, and then we judged him on it. He went at Liverpool, and come on, you guys know your football. We knew exactly where he was going to play. Right side, we're midfield free. Done. They had a plan. When Zaha goes to Chelsea in January, we know where he's going to play. We know what he's going to do. They have these inside wingers. They're going to put him in there. And he's going to rotate William and Pulisic. A plan. Done. And when we buy players, we don't have a plan for them. The structure's not solid. We don't have a career path for them. There is no succession planning for them. We just have a group of players that we judge on their talent. But we don't drive an environment that says... This is what you do when you come here. And so what people do, well, you know what, I'll sign because well, I'll get paid. And then we have to keep finding money. The money's running out. The money is running out. The revenue streams are getting less and less and less. And we are sort of looking towards the board and looking towards the ownership and hoping they're going to accelerate this plan because we don't like how we're feeling. And we're really concerned about the next steps because none of our assets are growing. The ones that people want are the ones that are holding us up. And so we've got a rebuild to to undertake. And you know what, Tim, a great point about Sven, that was a guy that potentially could have got us back to lost millions. We've now lost that. And so we're going to be paying out multiple millions in agents' fees. right? And so we're going to be at the behest to the opportunists. The opportunities are looking at us, and they can't wait to get in there. The Kia's getting in there. Mendes will get in there. And they're going to rinse us of our money. They really are. Because there's a void and there's a lack of a plan. And I'm extremely, extremely worried about it. Mm, yeah. And I mean, that certainly points a couple fingers at Raul. Then let's do this. Um, let's point a couple fingers at some of the sexiest thong underwear you've ever seen by talking about the enclosed. Because obviously, if you want it to be a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, a Happy Kwanzaa, and a Happy New Year, the way to do that is to clothe your partner in the sexiest lingerie on the planet. We're going to tell you about that. We're going to come back and talk relegation after this. All right, it's time to tell you about our friends at The Enclosed. That's right, Enclosed Lingerie is back, and we are thrilled to have them back for the holiday season because it's just in time for you to get something for your partner. Forget the flowers and the sweaters or something like that, especially a gift certificate. Now you can get them high-end luxury lingerie from The Enclosed. You don't have to wander through a mall awkwardly. You don't have to worry about the fit or the quality because it's always going to be backed by a perfect fit guarantee. And we can get $35 off your multi-month purchase just by using Arsenal at checkout. Just go to enclosed.gifts. That's easy enough. Enclosed.gifts. Be a holiday hero. Get her what she wants. It's something that's great for the relationship. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be high-end and fit perfectly every time. And then every month... You can look forward to that thing that is going to bring you closer together with that special person. So, enclosed.gifts is the site. Arsenal is the checkout code. Go there now to save $35 off any monthly, multi-month purchase. Enclosed.gifts. Do it now. Okay, we're back. And now, Tim, I think we should talk about uh, the obvious elephant in the room. And that is relegation. So I don't know how to address this because on the one hand, it feels completely hysterical and hyperbolic, which obviously leans right into my branding. But like, we just lost at home to Brighton. We failed to beat Southampton. We failed to beat Watford. 
we failed to beat Norwich. I mean, you look at what's coming up, and, you know, of our next five games, I think three of them are City, Chelsea, and United, or of our next six, or whatever it is. We have a relegation six-pointer mm-hmm. at Everton. Um, we just went through Project 36. In fact, we have one game left at West Ham. That will complete the run of 12 games that we identified on this pod as the 12, a run of 12 very winnable games. I am on record. I have a tweet out. Someone asked me what would be a good return. I said about 28 points. Someone said, I think 24 or something. And I said, I think that would probably be disastrous. We are currently sitting on, I think, 12, 12 points from 11 games. I'm not kidding. Um, so is there any remote possibility that relegation is, is in the frame here? Um, no, I don't think so at the moment. I think, um, there's, there's too much football to play. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm (laughs) at this stage, like what's going to happen in the next like four or five games. Yeah. It, it could get uglier. Um, however, I think we're talking more than half a season and even having played this badly we're still five points over the top um like five points away from the relegation zone and and like honestly yeah i i maybe this is famous last words i really don't see us getting worse than this Uh, i'm not saying i see us getting get getting a lot better a lot more quickly but um no i i just um i think even in current form um it's there are still three teams worse and I don't think this current form will last forever. We will dig our way out of this. I'm not saying we're going to sweep all before us and be brilliant. And honestly, I, I think at this stage we'll finish, I don't know, ninth, something like that. I think it'll be a bit of a mid table finish, but no, um, if you come back to me in March or April and, but I mean, even then, if in like April we're five points above the relegation zone, you know, we're kind of, well, then we're going it's, down because I'm pretty sure we play like Spurs and United in two of our last three games or something. Yeah. Like in the conversation, but still, do you know what I mean? Like mm. for me, we would have to be in the relegation zone right now for that to be um, or a bit closer to it for that for that to be serious. Well, we're five points clear. The bottom team is Watford cut totally adrift. Essentially, we drew them. Yeah. The second team cut fairly adrift is Norwich. We drew them. The next team is Everton, and we have to go there soon. Everton are not a team you expect to go down. The team above them is Southampton. Remind me what we just did to them. Failed to win. Aston Villa were beating us at the Emirates before we staged an improbable comeback. Then it's West Ham. We travel to them next. Then it's Bournemouth. We travel to them shortly. And then it's Brighton, who just beat us. And then it's Burnley and Newcastle who we beat both. In, I mean, the irony is when you look at the teams below us, every single one of them, roughly, has beaten us or drawn us or we go to yeah, their yeah. place soon. So, I mean, and again, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but like at some point, if losing at home to Brighton is a reality and failing to beat Norwich and failing to beat Watford and failing to beat Southampton are all things that just happen, I would say to you, where's our next win coming from? And you certainly think we will lose to United, Chelsea, and City on current form. So then we're... I'm not so sure about United so much. Well, they, it, they could it's be just, just like, bad, yeah. Well, they beat Spurs, oh, just to be fair. Obviously, right? If we if we play to this level for the next, like, what's left now, 20-odd games, um, then, yeah, we're in trouble. But I just, I just don't believe we will um, at all. 
Well, um, this goes I think back we'll to my... slowly get better, and yeah, yeah. Well, and this goes back to my point to some extent, then, Tim, about coaching making a difference. There's just no rational possibility that the squad is as bad as it is playing. I will say no. this: I think that the center backs could be the worst center backs in the entire division. I don't think we have a center back that could keep a, a team in the bottom up. But I think we have plenty of attacking talent that an intelligent setup could fix this. So, Clive, I, I want to get your quick take on relegation and then really just sort of drill into the match just a little bit, a couple of details from the match. I mean, do you think relegation... And can I can I kind of give you something sort of scary here, right? Um, So, if you look at, like, understats, expected goal stuff, and I know people don't love expected goals, but we're actually outperforming our expected goals for and our expected goals allowed. According to understat, we actually have like roughly more points than we should, or at least we're doing a little better than we should. So like we're not even in one of these false positions. Like the irony is, you know, if you look at United, for example, understat thinks United should have seven more points than they do. Okay. Because their defense has been a lot better than their goals allowed. But like we're in the position that our play dictates. So we're not even like underperforming. This is based on how we've been playing where we should be. So with that, I yield the floor to you. I mean, do you think that the discussion of relegation is a silly thing or, or is a plausibility? I don't think we're going to be relegated, but I do think we're going to be in the lower league positions quite quickly. And the reason why what's been really, you know, the last couple of years, what we've really done is, is not play very well, but we've scored lots of goals. Can, can so, I give you a stat just real quick, just to blow your mind, just really, really quickly from Lewis Ambrose? I think it's Lewis Ambrose. Okay. Who did it. Maybe Rihanna Wall, actually. Um, we have scored 12 open play goals. Well, that's why I was going to go somewhere yeah. similar to that, actually. But that's even that's even better. And, you know, we've had, we scored 21 goals in 15 games. So we've all sat here, you know, and we've said, let's lean into our talent. Let's lean into our forwards. Right? We've said it, we all of us have said it in various guises. They're not doing it. So what's happening is everything else has been exposed because we stopped scoring. Last year we were scored at the right times. We would we would edge games. Um, I know the stats were saying that we shouldn't have been edging those games, but we we managed to. This is part of the correction. Our fours have lost a bit of edge. They are now losing a bit of confidence because the pressure is now on their shoulders. I always go back to Baku, and I watched Aubameyang, and I watched Lacazette. It's a hard place to get back to, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, and you you learn about people when in the in the darkest moments, and I felt they crumbled under the pressure. They had the pressure of trying to score the goals to get Arsenal into the Champions League. I felt they crumbled, and I and I feel them crumbling a bit now, and we're relying on them because they are the people that are going to take us out of this crap. You know what I mean? Mm. Our defenders are not going to do it. Our midfielders, unless we let's, let's be coached, that that can be coached up to a point. But because our defenders are what they are, we can't close the distances like we used to. But we can get to somewhere where we can be a bit more dominant in our average position and, and what we do on the ball, our shape and distances. We, that can be coached. But we're relying on our forwards. And I'm worried about them. We've got one kid. I mean, there was a worrying thing in the game last night. Pepe was warming up at half time. I don't know if you saw it, Tim, but they were saying on the TV that basically he had the most lackadaisical warm-up, like he didn't even care to come on in the second half. And he came on with his shin pad tape and he wasn't even ready to come on. And he looked like somebody, I'm thinking, mate, this is really important. He then came out and played pretty well for 25 minutes. That I didn't like. Lacazette's off form 
people are now starting to reach and panic and talk about Aubameyang getting down the middle and, you know, watching him running down the touchline, killing himself, trying to keep us in the game. He's just a criminal waste of energy. And so the pressure's starting to hit and people are starting to react to it in different ways. Players are starting to have a little bite at each other. This is not something that Arsenal people are used to. So if we do have a few more bad results, we're going to look at that table and we're not going to like what we see. And every single... Uh, every single talk show, every single bit of media will be shining a light on us. And that's going to increase more pressure on our environment. And if there's one thing we can all say, we're not really great at delivering under pressure. Right? So I am worried about the turmoil we're going to go through. I'm not saying we're going to go down, but we are going to go through it. The bottom has not been reached yet. Well, we're going to go through it. Let me add to that by saying, look, we're probably going to lose to City United and Chelsea. I mean, and if you're saying, oh, don't be so negative. I mean, <laughs> you tell me. We just failed to beat uh, Norwich, Southampton, and mm. we lost to home to Brighton. But, but just for a second, here's my yeah. point. If this happens, and Freddie's still trying to get his hands around this thing, and New Year's rolls around, the January transfer window at Arsenal is going to look like an episode of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Because Obama Yangs and Lacazette, those guys aren't going to want to wait till the summer. They're going to want to go now, and their big money agents who seem to run this club are probably going to have the ear of Raul and maybe say, look, I can get a little sweetener for you if you let him go now. And so there's going to be some real hard decisions because if Aubameyang goes in January, I mean, where is the bottom? It's a question we've asked, and I certainly wonder. I don't think we're getting relegated. But, like, you know, look, Tim, Freddie Humberg had a hot second as an assistant coach at Wolfsburg. He had one season as the... U23 coach at Arsenal, and now he's a head coach of Arsenal. I don't care what you think of Freddie Humberg. Wonderful, wonderful legend for the club. He is not ready. He's not. It's not his fault, but he's not. And the situation is dire. I don't think we can just play the he can have it till the end of the season while we sort it out game because I, I do think that the damage that could be done. We stuck with Unai too long, and he, I mean, he sacked the city. He really did. I mean, he, he wrecked the club, but now... He has left it in a situation where Freddie Freddie can't be the steady hand till the end of the season, in my opinion. I'm curious to get your take on how quickly the club has to bring someone in, and if you would even potentially take an interim kind of appointment to then allow them to do a full search, in you know, for the summer to get the full time guy in. So I'm I'm not ready to press the panic button on Jungberg yet. Um, I, I think unless it gets to a stage where we actually are fighting relegation, I'm happy to wait. I, I accept what you're saying. He's not, he's probably not ready. Um, he has virtual, but, literally no experience, essentially. Yeah, but if you've, basically, it, it's vitally important that they get the next appointment right. And that's a position that Arsenal have put themselves in because I don't I don't think that was the case like immediately post Wenger. I really think the case was, you know, go through as many managers as we need to, but you know, fail fast, learn quickly. Yes. They haven't done that. They haven't failed fast and learned quickly. They failed very, very slowly and haven't learned at all. (laughs) But they failed a lot Um, (laughs) for what that's worth. Yeah. But but to be fair, Tim so they've if I, if we were doing this to a young player, if this was a an academy kid we were throwing in at the deep end every game, you know, and our central defense, we'd be saying, how can you do this to this kid? Isn't it sort of similar to do this to Freddie to have to have him helm 
a, a serious crisis at the start of his career? Maybe, maybe. But um, I also think, you know, expectation will be quite low um, at the moment. And, and actually, it, look, if he's going to be a top coach at any point, and we don't know that, and I'm not saying he will, but if he's going to be a top coach at any point, I think this will be valuable experience for him. Okay, that's fair. This will, this will only be crushing for him if he's not very good. Do you feel um, the same way, though, about like a Gary Neville's experience in Spain or Thierry's experience in France? Or, you know, I mean, I do worry that you can yeah. kill you can kill managerial careers the same way you can kill kids who get thrown into the deep end. Yeah, but I think you only kill the kids who probably aren't going to make it okay, anyway. That's a good point. Yep. Um, to be honest. And, I, and yeah, I do think that about those respective managerial careers. The thing is, Arsenal... They've got to take a breath, I think, because we've just been talking about how they've they've just been in like fight or flight crisis mode and making panic decisions. And at some point it has to stop. That has to stop. They have to take a breath and they have to stop just panicking and just swiping at things and signing checks and panicking. That has to stop. And this is the time to stop it because basically the league season is now a write off. Um and what I would say is that the problem that they've got, first of all, they should have like they really, really should have done their due diligence in the summer. Um, you know, I thought Emery should have gone in the summer, but I understand why the club didn't take that decision. I do understand it. But what they absolutely should have done was start making plans just in case. And don't get me wrong, I didn't think it was going to go this wrong for Emery. I thought we were just going to get more of the same. I didn't think it would it would slide like this. I thought it'd just be a kind of it'd be quite average. I didn't think we'd go into disaster mode, but they absolutely should have been making plans at that point, and they clearly weren't. And you know, they did things like they bought players that you know I'm not really sure Emery wanted. Um, you know, stuff like Freddie going into the coaching setup and stuff like that. They made some tweaks. So they obviously, they felt Unai Emery needed something, that he needed some help. And that is an admission that they don't think he was doing the job very well. Now, that doesn't mean they absolutely must sack him at that point, but they absolutely must consider that sacking him might be in the post and start lining things up. And what is increasingly clear is that they just didn't and what they're finding now is the manager market is shit it is absolute shit and this is a reality we have to wake up to um even even the massive clubs aren't finding managers at the moment spurs had to jump into bed with Mourinho. bayern can't get anyone if if bayern munich can't get a good manager then what hope have arsenal got really it, it's it's mad out there. It's very bad. But I think there are quite good appointments they can probably make, but they there there are disasters out there. There are some there are some banana skins in that managerial market. And like Clive was saying with the agent thing, you know, there there are some agents that have managers as well. And there are some bad managers out there who are thinking, Nice, I could walk into this, do a shit job and get a nice payoff here. <laughs> Um, Arsenal are vulnerable I'm, I'm sending my resume as we speak <laughs> <laughs> Arsenal are very vulnerable for vultures at the moment and that goes for the managerial market I mean look what Jose Mourinho has done to Spurs he's got a contract till 2023 on enormous money like he's well he hasn't extorted them 
but he's done something quite close to it because they're desperate and we're even more desperate than they are. So Arsenal, you know, they're in a bad position in that I don't think they can make an amazing appointment unless they just take a gamble that happens to pay off. They can make a really bad one. Um, and, you know, I, I, I kind of I tweeted last night that I thought what would happen is Freddie would keep it to the end of the season and Brendan Rodgers would probably take it in the summer. I know he signed a new contract today. Um, that makes me even more convinced it's going to happen <laughs> that it might happen because that tells you that Rogers was interested or at the very least he leveraged the position, right? You don't hand out new contracts to people you've had for nine months unless you're shitting your pants about losing them and that they're not reassuring you that, that they're going to stay. You hand out new contracts because you're looking to tie someone down. And so I still think it could happen um, although him having a new contract means it could be very, very expensive and that, that so it might not happen. But anyway, I, I think Arsenal are an exceptionally vulnerable, vulnerable position manager-wise and I think they've got to be very, very careful because one more bad appointment could be really, really bad news. Yeah, uh, I think that's very well said. And look, the only thing I would say... Unai Emery was bad last season because he is bad and should feel bad. Um, our run-in was brutally bad. And despite the terrible form and honestly not very good squad made worse by the absence of Ramsey, we basically sashayed into the final of the Europa League. And they do give a Champions League place for Europa League winners. It's astonishing, I know, but they do. Now look, this year Inter might be in it and Borussia Dortmund might be in it. And you know, it, it can always be difficult when those teams parachute in. But... Given that even a bad Arsenal was able to get to the final one year and really should have beaten Atletico Madrid to get to the final the year before, and given that there's a Champions League place on offer, I just feel that we have to have an eye on it. Because look, what can you imagine if we somehow shithouse our way to having Champions League next season? I don't know if we can play in it from the championship, but that's another story. Like, it would make all the difference in the world to the club and and so, if there's an interim guy, I mean, I know it would cost a fucking fortune, but I would bite your arm off for Rafa Benitez for the rest of the season just to mm. tighten things up, steady the ship, maybe try to win us a Europa League and, and you know, whatever, part with him at the end of the season and just pay him handsomely for that. You know, because then, yes, you're in a vulnerable position and yes, you're paying a lot of money, but you're paying it to someone that you feel really confident with their professionalism and their capabilities in the short term while you try to figure out the solution for the long term. Clive, if you don't mind, with the last few minutes, can we just focus on the game for a second? Yeah. I, I know, it's <laughs> tedious. But in your mind, I mean, when you look at the game, are, are there certain specific areas or performances that you say you know, continue to be the issue for me. I mean, one thing I noticed right on early on in the game is Bellerin had a rare sort of overlap, fired the ball into the box, and Aubameyang standing at the corner flag when he did it. I mean, this is my point about utilizing your your resources. You look at the goal Aubameyang scored, classic sort of poacher's goal, finds a pocket of space on a set piece, gets himself available, ball happens to come to him, and he, you know, rockets at home. I just don't see how we can have our golden boot winner standing out on the touchline. Like, the decisions we make, right? Like, shunting our golden boot winner out wide so we can play our out-of-form second striker because we don't want to play our 72 million pound striker, uh, a winger, is a weird paradigm that has kind of taken hold. Just sort of 30,000-foot view about this game, what's consistently going wrong for Arsenal that, that happened against Brighton? 
Um, everything, nothing can be sustained. So this has been a trend from maybe last season, a new trend. We can't sustain performance. So last year we sort of linked it down to Emery, the fact we threw away halves of football. We weren't sure if it could be first half or second half. It's all different. We found it exciting. We loved the halftime substitutions. And we sort of rolled with it. And we thought, actually, this is crap. We're not, we're not very good. And um, I think last night the game started off pretty, pretty placid, and and Brighton sort of worked out that we were sort of petrified of our own shadow, and they started to move the ball around and push us back. We kept giving away corner after corner to a team full of giants, and it was just the inevitable actually happened. I just felt we were petrified. I really did. And maybe it's me, or maybe I was petrified. So I just felt there was fear everywhere. I was watching Lacazette. I was literally watching him not post up, stand next to people, get pushed off the ball. I'm thinking, you don't want it. I was watching Ozil. Ozil was somebody that always wants it, not want it, not make angles. Don't want it, don't want it. Fall over the ball. He's a smoother so I never see him fall over. He's got wonderful balance. Things weren't happening. People that can that are decent players did not want it you know so that concerned me obviously the rocket was led at half time and we came out and we just upped our levels and we just upped our intensity and we looked great for 20 minutes or so didn't score the second goal when we really needed it and then the doubt set in again and the doubt set in we can't sustain it the department's become disconnected and we start to worry about the outcome. And that's where confidence comes in. You can't see the win. You just can't see it. And even though it was right there for you, you smash crosses in where you just need to feather them in. You don't quite deliver what under pressure like you should do. So you're hoping someone's going to get you out of it. And everyone else, every player is on there thinking, I hope someone else is going to do it because I can't do it because I'm worried about my ability to deliver under pressure. And that's part of the whole environment of the club at the moment. The fans, I don't blame the fans on this one. I think the fans are generally worried and they, they, they struggle to support because they were petrified, you know. Um, I don't think, you know, I, I wasn't there, so Tim may say something different, but I didn't see a mass turning on the, on the players per se. I just felt we were just all realising this is really bad. This is really bad. And, and this is Brighton, and Brighton are growing in confidence and they are absolutely outplaying us in the last quarter of a game and that is something that we just struggle to cope with with Arsenal people and so do the players and my this is the, my big one I've got loads of worries at the moment Freddie too fair to him is absolutely excellent at assessing what the problem statement is he worked out the knowledge game what the problem is he knows this is confidence related he's been in dressing room for confidence has dropped and got back up this is really about getting into people's psyche and mindset to remind them who they are, remind them how they play and be much more positive and try to build the confidence from within. It almost isn't about moving the shapes around, although I think it would help Elliot. I think there's something much more than that to try to rebuild these players. This isn't the time to criticise massively because they're shadows at the moment. Their shadows. Some are not good enough. Many are not good enough. And we spoke about that in the recruitment part of the podcast. But they're here. And we haven't got a window till January. We haven't got a window till the summer. They're here. And they absolutely need their confidence rebuilding. And I'm hoping at West Ham that happens. But I am just hoping. Nothing and nothing more than that. Yeah, I guess, look, I, I know you disagree with me, Clive. 
and you know, and understandably because of you know the shit opinions and stuff. But like, I I think there is a way to use this squad that gets a hell of a lot more out of it. I I think we always have a binary. They're shit. The players are shit. We're totally shit. No, no coach could do anything. And I'm not saying you're saying this, but like on on Twitter mm-hmm. and on the internet, things tend to be a binary. We're great, and the manager's shit. We're shit, and the manager's great. And they're like, there, there's no nuance. And I'm sorry, but like, yes, the center backs are shit. Totally shit. Completely agree. But like, we bought Tierney. We must like him. He probably has a you know a decent opportunity to make us better if we give him a run in the side. We bought Pepe. Give him a run on the side. We have the golden boot winner. Put him in the box. You know, like, sorry, play Yang, Martinelli, and Pepe. Play Ganduzi, Torreira, and and Shaka. Or, you know, if you want to play Ozil at the 10, fine. Beats me, whatever you feel like. Pick two center backs by rolling dice. Get Bellerin and Tierney out there and Leno. They're not going to win enough games to get us top four now. But at some point, the square peg round whole thing has to stop. Being a little too clever by half has to stop. I think, mm-hmm. you know, I, I want to be clear. A good coach, a good experienced coach with tactical innovations and a clear plan for how he wants to play with this team would would struggle to get top four, but would probably be in the frame. He certainly wouldn't be struggling against a, a potential relegation slide. And I'm not putting it on Freddie. He hasn't been in the job long enough to make a difference. I also don't think it's fair, as I previously stated, to have expectations of a guy who has two half seasons as an assistant coach and one season as a U23 coach. Freddie could go on to be the next pep but not at this stage of his career and not with this mess he's been handed. So let's see where it goes from here. But look, we're at West Ham and then it's Manchester City. And at some point you just say, I don't like seeing Arsenal embarrassed. You know, it makes for fun banter online and gallows humor and ha ha ha, we're, we suck, we could go down. But you know what? Our great club is being embarrassed. And I think the people that really own it are, are Raul and Vinay and Edu and of course Stan. I think the lack of of consideration for competitiveness in favor of commercial success has led to blind spots. I think you're absolutely right, Clive, that we make decisions from position of panic. I think, Tim, you're right. We're extremely vulnerable. And because we have bad people in charge, I think we're vulnerable to making those decisions again. And now we're still the guys who will probably be the consigliere for the club. Guys like Kia and guys like Mendez have their own interests at heart. And again, I think January, you know, Ian Wright, the great Ian Wright is on. I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. Uh, we may see other Arsenal strikers uh, being on a similar show in Jan- January. So all good things. More to come. In any event, we'll have more podcasts. Um, we'll do our analytics pod rolling out soon on Patreon. We'll have the uh, transfer rumor stuff starting up. Uh, I'm sure it will be really exciting players that we'll be signing in January to arrest the slide. And uh, more than anything, we have each other. And uh, I know these are tough times. So for those of you who are still sticking with us, we love you and we really do appreciate it. Tim's on Twitter at Stilberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. I got to say, Clive, I came away from rewatching the Norwich game with you really sort of buoyed with a new optimism based on some things I saw that this thing could get fixed. And uh, Brighton kind of beat the shit out of me. So, so I'm right back where I was. But we... the, pr- the pressure of the Emirates, mate. The pressure yeah. of the Emirates. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, we're struggling under the weight of it all. So what's, what's this space? Well, you know, we go to West Ham. No pressure there. Okay. Uh, my name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner gives us a five-star review. And just hang in there with us. We're all going to get through this one way or another. I'm not going to do what everybody wants, which is me to say West Ham 10, Arsenal nil. Sorry. Maybe I'll save that for City because that seems more plausible. In any event, we do love you. And we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, West Ham 10. <laughs>